This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, so if you want to turn there, and we are going to be looking at the fall and restoration of Peter, and this is a, this is a, this is a really great text, um, and I think going into, heading into our time as far as the um, Easter goes, the, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, the death, the burial, and his resurrection, there, this is kind of in that progression um, at, at some point there, like as people would be preaching through it. But a lot of times this passage, I would say, gets overlooked. But I think it's a crucial passage at a crucial time where we're at right now as we're looking to Easter. And I think it will really hopefully encourage your heart this morning as we look at it together. And uh, let me read for you Luke chapter 22. Let me read verse 61 through 62. And what does it say? And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out, and he wept bitterly. So why would this passage be so important? I would say for two different reasons. Number one, in the Gospels, the four books of the beginning of the New Testament, each account holds this story of Peter, holds this historical event in Peter's life. And there's only 10 events that actually the Gospels, all four Gospels hold. And I believe all Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for reproof, correction, in righteousness, right? So God's word, all of it. But I believe the, those 10 passages, and this one specifically, hold significance because of that. But then another reason that I would say this particular passage holds significance is because it's probably the clearest event that we have of a Christian falling away and then being restored. And so that's why I believe it's, it's crucial that we look at this this morning and that we just take to heart what happened here in the life of Peter. And I believe, you know, there are some people that say, well, can Christians fall away? Like there's, a, there's some debate out there, like can this actually happen? And I would say that in Galatians, we actually see, the Bible is very clear, that, that if the Bible says this, that if your brother, if you see your brother stumble, go and restore him. And so I believe the Bible is very clear that as Christians, you can fall away. You can stumble. And actually, in this, in this particular passage, we can see somebody that falls way deep into some terrible things. And, but then we see our powerful God restore him. So that's what we're going to look at today. So let's look at this. So number one, Peter's warning. We're going to look at Peter was warned to begin. So Peter... Here he was, he's one of, of, of Jesus' disciples, and we see here in, in the text that we're in, we see here in Luke chapter 22, verse 54, what does it say? Have, it says this, actually, I'm going to go back just a couple verses, and I'm going to look at verse 31. Same chapter, 22, but look at verse 31. The Lord said to Simon, 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 indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But what did Peter say? Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. So we see here that Peter, number one, was warned, and he was warned here in this text. But then we also see that so this was, this was when they were, they were reclining at a table, they were eating together. 
Then we see that Christ, he warns him again here in Gethsemane where Christ was praying. Just a couple verses later in verse 45, what does it say? After Jesus prayed, when he rose up from prayer and he had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Verse 46, then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. And so what we see here is that, is that Peter was warned. And the reason that this is, that this is an interesting uh, thought, that he was warned twice, is that, and the, I would say the scary part about his warning is that we see Peter's pride get in the way. What does he say? We see this in the math, Matthew's account. He says this, he says, they all will, but I will never. Even if all the other 12, the closest people to you, even if they forsake you, even if they deny you, you know what? I never will. And what's interesting is that, you know, the Lord actually talks, the Bible talks very clearly, how often does it warn us against pride and self-confidence? What does it say? Pride goes before destruction, right? Wherefore, let him take heed, that he that standeth take heed, lest he fall, what does it say? God resists the proud, but what does he do? He gives what? Grace to who? The humble. So Peter was warned. He was warned. He was warned in the upper room. He was warned in, 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 in the Garden of Gethsemane. But then another thing that I think we need to take note of that we need to look at is that Peter then hit his fall. And really, what do I have on for the second point? Peter's warning, and then I have his, can you skip, there we go, Peter's denial. So then we're going to look at that. We're going to look at Peter's denial. Peter's denial, why was it so heavy? Why was it such a deep and painful sin? I'll say this, it's because Peter was highly favored as a disciple. He was highly favored. He was one of the top three, you could say. And you could say, does Jesus do that? Well, Jesus gave three of them, call, called them the, the loved disciples, and they were Peter, James, and John. They were chosen to be with Jesus on various occasions, but specifically, the other disciples were excluded in, in these three. The resur- they, only these three were there when the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. It's a pretty important passage of Scripture. Pretty important time, pretty intimate time. And then the other times were Jesus, when he was transfigured on the mountain. Those three were there. And then when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it wasn't all the disciples. It was those three. And Peter was one of them. Peter was blessed. Why was Peter so blessed? Peter was blessed because what he, he publicly de- declared Jesus was Christ, the Son of God. He got that. And, you know, so here, here Jesus is. He takes a group of teenagers, right? We know the disciples were young because the Pharisees came to him and said, why don't you pay taxes? You should pay taxes. And what did Jesus do? He took a fish and he pulled money out of the fish, enough for him and for Peter, actually. And you had to be over the age of 18 to pay taxes at the time. So here Jesus is. He takes these these teenagers to Caesarea Philippi. At that time, it would be like taking a bunch of teenagers to Las Vegas, and the capital of pagan worship at the time. And what did he do? He said to them, he said, who do you say that I am? Because all these people don't. They don't know who I am. And what? They missed. The, the other disciples, they missed. They like swing and a miss. But some people say you're this and some people say you're that. And what? Peter, 
You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Home run, Peter. So he was blessed. He knew who Jesus was. And then Peter was unique in that he participated in some pretty cool events too, right? In the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, right? Here's Peter. And Peter, he steps out of the boat. He got to participate in that miracle. So what we are about to see is, is, is very terrible because after being highly favored, knowing who Jesus was, seeing him do miracles and participating in them, what he denies his master. That's why this was all the more terrible. The higher our privilege, the greater our responsibility. The more horrible our sin when we walk away from the Lord. So let's look at this. Let's look at his denial. Let's look at the progression of, of, what, of what Peter did. That's what we're going to look at next. So the progression, what happened here? So let's read it. What happened? We'll go here to Luke 22. Let's look at verse 54. What does it say? Having arrested him, so this is Jesus, they arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. So the first, the first degree or the first denial that we see here in Peter, and we're going to see it's kind of in stages, is what? The first one is that he denied Jesus when it was going to cost him something. So he denied Jesus when he felt the cost. Come on. Now, why would you say, well, well, Peter, he didn't deny Jesus all the time. No. When he was in the upper room with all the other disciples with Jesus, it was cool to call Jesus who, who he was supposed to be. It was, it was good to be with him. It, was, it wasn't hostile. Now he's in a hostile environment. Here they arrested him. Here, he's with people. He doesn't know. They're all there. Now, he's been with people, and he doesn't know why they're there before. But now Jesus is in, is in chains, and he's on trial. And here, in a, in a hostile environment around people, he doesn't know where they stand on this, on this whole subject. What does he say? He says this, and in Matthew, this is, uh, Matthew kind of says it a little bit differently, but maybe a, in, a, in a way that's a little bit more easier to understand. He says what? He says, I don't understand what you're saying. So you could, the, the interpretation there is like, um, what, what was that? They knew he was from another country. They knew, they knew he wasn't from around there. So he's like, uh, I, can't, I don't really understand what you're, what you're saying. So I'm going with no. So he acts like he didn't, he wasn't quite understanding what, what was going on, what he was being asked. And so he just thought, well, I'm just going to kind of just try to elude the question. Well, I know what it's like to deny something, somebody, actually. So there was a time that um, when we were growing up, we grew up on a farm. And so we enjoyed learning to run the tractors and do all that. 
And so Caleb, my oldest brother, because he was the oldest in the family, he got to do it first. We're a traditional like country family. The oldest goes first, and then so on and so forth. And we've done that pretty much our whole, our whole life with everything that, you know, all the big events in our lives pretty closely. So Caleb, he was driving the tractor. Now my, my pap had this big Massey Ferguson tractor and this disc that was massive. I can't remember exactly how wide it was, but the, the tractor, I think, was over or was right around 200 horsepower. Um, and then it pulled this huge disc. And so Caleb was across the, on our farm, across the road, disking some fields. And my dad had told him, he had said, hey, when you're done or when it gets dark, just park the tractor and come back. Well, Caleb, he got done disking and he was sitting over there in the tractor waiting. Well, it got dark. It was getting dark. And so Caleb was like, well, I think I can take the tractor back. Well, he forgot how big the disc was. And so on one side of the road, there's this big bank. The other side of the road, there was this brand new high tensile fence we had just put in for the cows. And I mean, so he gets out on the road and he gets rolling and it's like he takes a, I, and we, again, we're watching this from the house. That's how I know. I was literally, I witnessed this happening. So he's going and he hits the first gear, hits second gear, and we can tell something's, something's not right. And all of a sudden, boom, he hits the telephone pole. He takes out one of our fence posts, another fence post, and boom, he hits the telephone pole. And he's dead in the water right in the middle of the road. <laughs> so here he is. Well, Caleb comes running up the hill, right? And he's like, dad's going to kill me. Dad's going to kill me. And we were like, yes, we know dad. And he is going to kill you. But you know, in my little 11-year-old, 10-year-old body, I was like, Caleb, I'm with you. Like, if he's going to spank you, he's going to spank me. That's what I said. I said, I'm with you, man. So Caleb goes up to his room because he knows it's coming. I'm like, okay, I, I can do this. I'm going to defend him. Well, Dad, we see, we see the lights come up the road. It's getting dark. See his truck lights. They get to the tractor. You can't pass the tractor right now. It's in the middle of the road. So he stops. He looks. He gets back in, flies up the driveway. Pure sign. Something bad's about to happen, right? Flies up, opens the door, says, where's Caleb? There I stand. And I said, Dad, if you're going to spank him, you're going to spank me. He stopped for about a second and said, okay, come here. And with that, I don't know how I did it, but I turned quickly enough and just missed his reach. And with that, I was abandoning ship. I ran as fast as I could, found a hiding place, and let happen what happened. I denied Caleb. When I knew it was about to cost me. I knew it was going to cost me. And at that moment, I said enough. And that's exactly what's happening here with Peter. He realized that at this moment, if he stood with Jesus, it was going to cost him. And so that's his first level of denial. And, he, and, and how do, have we seen any modern day people that actually have been a part of this type of, of scenario. So when you deny Jesus, it, it's called, there's a term in the Bible called apostasy. We don't use it very much. But apostasy, what is that? What is apostasy? It's, it is a person who has professed believing in Jesus at one time, but comes out and says they no longer believe in Jesus. That's what apostasy is. And walks away from him forever. That's true apostasy. Never, never returns. 
So who do we know like modern day? And I, I just have one example of somebody that, that recently has, has done this, and his name is Joshua Harris. And some of you may know, recognize that name, others may not. But he, at a, at, when I was younger, he wrote a book. He was, he was in his early 20s, I believe, at the time. He wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Okay, Sold 1.2 million copies in a certain portion of Christianity. It was very popular. Um, my, we, we were supposed to read it. One of my friends kind of marked the front of it and, said, and, and crossed out some words and made it say, I kiss good. And so... So, so, you know, so it was, it was one of those books that was a little bit controversial, but at the, I, I would say, I would say at the time he said nothing heretical. He, he, he was, he was more conservative and in his approach to dating and to, and to living the Christian life, which was fine, but he sold 1.2 million copies. He got popular. He pastored a mega church in Maryland, had a family. I think he has four to five children. And this is what he wrote. He resigned from his post. It was about two, almost three years ago now. And what did he say? The information, he, he said this after, at the end of his um, resignation letter. He said, the information that was left out of, my, of our announcement to the church, because he did a verbal one, is that I have undergone a massive shift regarding my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. And he divorced his wife and completely has abandoned all, any ties with Christian or Christian living, or Christ, Christ in any manner. And at this point, until, until he breathes his last, could he, could, could, could he be restored? Absolutely. But at this point, he is a functioning as an apostate. So that's the term. So it's, so it's obvious that Peter was not a complete apostate. Why? Because he came back. Because he came back to the Lord. But essentially, any denial of Jesus is a form of apostasy. And so let's observe there's th these three denials. They were definite degrees to these denials. And so th the first denial was just that, was that it was going to cost him something. I don't know what you mean. And so he, he tried to evade the question. I know I've, I've done that before, right? Uh, you know, or, or like you think you hear, you know, you think you know somebody's calling for you. I know when my mom would call for me, right? She, it's time to come in, time to stop doing whatever you're doing. And what I'm like, I don't know if I heard that right. Was that, did I hear? No, I don't think so. I didn't hear that right. No, no, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And that's essentially what Peter did. I don't understand what you're saying, so I'm going with no. So that's the first. It's the one, the first one is it's going to cost me something, so no. The second denial is this. Let's read about it. What does it say in verse, um, in verse 47, or ver, verse, verse 57, what does he say? Yeah, but he denied him saying, woman, I do not know. After a little while, another saw him. So this is verse 58. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. So again, back in Matthew, as Matthew interprets this, this is the second degree of denial. And this is essentially what he said. He said, I swear to you, I don't know who this is. So 
what, what, what's, the, what's the second degree here that we see? We see that he goes from acting like, oh, I didn't really know what you said. No, I'm not sure. Like the, the, the language might be, your accent might be, I'm not sure. So no. Um, now he's going, they're, they're, now they come to him and they're like, no, 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 you were with him. They're like, okay, no, like we're not, we're not, don't, don't try to get around it. You were with him. We know it. And what does he say now? He says this, I swear to you. It's not, it's not I'm avo- avoiding the question. It's, it's, I know what you're saying, and I swear I don't know who this is. So what, what is this? So th- this actually goes to another thing. The first one was identifying. This, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt me if I identify with Jesus, so I'm not going to. And we know that identifying with Jesus is a big deal because of Galatians 2.20. What does it say? I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me now. And the life now I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So my identity, that's, that's number one. But number two here, the second denial, it's what? He swears. I swear to you, I don't know him. So how do we understand this? I would, I would say this, that we understand this as a term that we would call, he came out. So how do we understand that? Like, that's kind of a new phrase, like, but it makes sense now. But we think of it more of like, as in like, they came out as not identifying as, that, as a girl, but as a boy. I, 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 I came out that I don't identify with the gender I was born with. I came out that I don't agree with the biblical view of marriage, and so I don't believe it's between a man and a woman anymore. So that's the coming out. It's like now I've crossed the line. I've taken a side. And so that's what Peter's doing here. He's saying, I swear that I know, I know who, what you're saying, and I know who Jesus is, and I am not associated with him. So that's number two. That's the progression here that we see. I swear, you've clearly crossed the line. The first one, Peter may have been able to appease his conscience, right? It's like, okay, like, I didn't understand. Okay, I don't think I hurt my relationship too much. Jesus will understand. Like, but this one, now Peter clearly violates his conscience. He turns away from what he knows is true, and we know it because he said, Jesus, you're the son of God. He got it right. So we know he knew, so he completely violates his conscience, turns away from what he knows to be true. Backsliding will always lead you to turn away from what you know is true. You walk away from his commands, you violate your conscience by your choices, your actions, that's when you're denying the Lord. And then we see his, his final denial, his third denial. Time passed it, time passes a little bit, he walks away. Like, let, let, it, let it breathe a little bit, it's getting hot again, so I'm going to walk away. What does it say here? says then, verse 59, then after an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. So the third one, so now there, there's a man that comes to him. So now, they, at first it was women. And women at the time, it was like they couldn't even, their testimony wouldn't hold up in court. 
So it was like, okay, I'm kind of avoiding somebody here, but even if they do pick me out, that doesn't, at the end of the day, they can take me to court and I can probably get around it. But now a man comes up to him. And actually, if you read all four accounts of the Gospels, this guy was the cousin of the, of the guard that got his ear chopped off by Peter. And he was there. So he's like, no, this guy, I saw him. There was a real event that just happened just, a, just an hour ago. And the, the guy, this is the guy, he did it. I was there, I saw it, right? There's no, so now it's like Peter is against the wall. There's like no getting out of this. Like he was witness with Jesus and partaking on Jesus' side. What? And what does, what does it say here that Peter did? It says here, what does he say? But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. But actually, if you read this in the original, in the Greek language, what, what he did, what Peter did, was he threw so many curse words and expletives that he could think of in succession all at one time. He exploded with, with vulgar language. Why did he do that? To make sure that the heat would turn off. That nobody else, he was going to make it undeniable in anybody's mind that was there that, this, that uh, there's no way that he could be a follower of Christ because they don't do that. And that's exactly what he did. And the thing that makes this part, that, that his denial so tragic is that this happened in a matter of hours. What happened to Peter? He, he spent years with the Lord. He knew who he was. And within a matter of hours, he had denied him three times. To the point where everybody, people that, people that didn't love Jesus, people that were hostile towards Jesus were like, well, then he's one of us. I mean, if he's doing that, he's one of us. There's no way that he could be one of them. So he proves to everyone by his actions that he must not be one of the disciples. When someone denies the Lord, they start down this slope. What is it? They, you evade your identity as a Christian. Number two, you violate your conscience and you come out. And you say, no, I'm not one of his. And I know exactly who you're talking about, but I'm not. And then the last thing is you act in such a clear manner that no one would call you a Christian. They would never identify you as that. And then... All of this came within the earshot of Jesus. Have you, ever been, have you ever been a part of something where somebody has denied you in some fashion? Has, has, has you know, you've worked with them for maybe a few years. You've, you've been pretty tight with them. And a lot of times you don't find out about it right away. You're still here. They start, they start to abandon their relationship with you and you don't realize it. And then all of a sudden it comes out. Typically, you see their actions first, and then you go to them and say, is this true? And they say, yep, I'm done. And at that moment, they come out to you, but they've come out a long time ago, right? If you've ever felt the betrayal of that, you know a little bit the feeling that Jesus would have felt at this moment. And what does it say then? What does it say? He did it in the earshot of Jesus. How do we know? 
Surely this fellow was with him, verse 60, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Expletives come flying out of his mouth. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. It was within earshot. He heard the whole thing. So the reasons for, for Peter's sin. So how did this happen, right? How, did, how does somebody get to this point? Well, the reasons, I would say number one is the fear of man. I would say number one, or in this case, the fear of women, right? He, he, he was fearful. What, what it was going to cost him, what, what might happen to him. Yeah, much of, but much of our backsliding is our failure to stand for the Lord in front of others. And we see this in Peter. We see it. This is afraid. What, in, and you're, what are you afraid of when it, when it comes to people? What am I afraid of? I'm afraid of their look. I'm afraid of how they're going to look at me. I'm afraid of their words. What are they going to say to me? And I'm afraid that their backs will turn away from me. Right? And that's, that's how you fear man. That's what you fear from them. But if you fear the Lord, what you fear his look, what he's going to look at you. You fear what his words say to you. You fear and you're thankful and what you fear that his face will no longer be turned upon you. That's the difference between the fear of man and the fear of God. So that's, that was number one. Number two, I would say, is his self-confidence. So he, the Bible's very clear. Put no confidence in your own flesh. Don't do that. And here, he was warned by Jesus. He said, Jesus prophesied it. I mean, he should have known. Anything Jesus said came to pass. He saw that happen over and over again. And here Jesus is saying to him, hey, you're going to do this. And he says, no, Jesus, no, it's not. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not just once. You're going to do it three times. And, Pe and Peter still, he says, no, 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 I will go to the cross for you. He has so much confidence in himself. And Peter had Peter felt weaker, he would have been strong. But because he felt strong, he proved to be weak. And then the last thing is he failed to watch and to pray. What does that mean? It means that his inconsistency was his own undoing, spiritually. He, he failed to watch and pray. What does that mean? It means this. He didn't lack emotion. You probably, like me in the morning, you wake up and you're like, okay, God, here we go right? But he lacked the backbone. He was carried away by the circumstances, and he wasn't controlled by character. He wasn't steadfast in his devotion to the Lord. Your spiritual condition will be determined by the time you spend with God in his word and in prayer. And that's how Peter fell away. So as we look at his life, I think it begs the question, have I fallen away? You know, as I studied this this week and have been studying this for quite a while, like I'll be honest with you, I had to confess. I had to say, God, you know what? There are some things in my life that you know what? If somebody saw it or those that do see this, they would be like, no. And I know those people. They're like, no, these, there's no way. That this guy could be a Christian with if that's what he's doing. If that's all they, if that's all, but some people only have that snapshot of my life. And I had to confess, I had to say, God, you know what? That's wrong. I'm denying you. And I confessed it. So the question is: have you fallen away from the Lord? 
that Christians do fall away from the Lord. That's clear. It wasn't just Peter that fell away, but all the disciples fell away from Jesus. All of them. Peter was the only one there. They, in, in that story, there, it, like in that narrative in the other four, John was the only one that's mentioned that he was there. I think Peter's the only one who spoke up. That's why we have this that Luke wrote and the other guys wrote. And, and, and Jesus prophesied. He said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. This would be a terrible situation, and this is bad, right? It, it, does it get any worse? Like, if you've been betrayed, it's the worst feeling that you can feel. And you know what? Here, and we know that, that he felt that way because of how he responded. This would be terrible except for what? God. Except for the intervention of Jesus. He will not leave you there. He won't. If you're one of his children, he won't leave you there. He will come after you. And if you're one of his children, you'll come back to him. So let's, let's, let's consider Peter's restoration now. Two, true Christians are restored back to the Lord. So we see here in the same passage, what is it? We see what? That, that, that there's two guys, there's two disciples and how they respond. And we see it. They both backslid. They both abandoned and denied the Lord. And who are they? It's Peter and it's Judas. That's who you see. You don't really see the other disciples. Eventually they come back. We see that throughout. But here in these passages of Scripture, we see these two guys. Judas, what? He sells Jesus. And he realized what had happened. He actually realized. And what? He actually gave back the money. He said, oh, that's not what I wanted. Actually, we see the two differences between somebody who's restored and somebody who's not. And those of us that, are, that, that farmed at all in our life, it's the difference between a sheep and a pig. You put them both in a pig pen, the pig loves it. He doesn't want out. He wants to get dirtier and get more into it. You put a sheep in there, he wants out as quickly as he can. And that's what we see here. Peter, you see the difference between worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. You see the difference between a backslider and you see the difference between an apostate. What? And what does that look like? What does that look like? The two the differences? I would say this, godly sorrow is very different than than heavenly sorrow, I would say. Or or god or godly sorrow. And what did, what is that? I would say this. I would say Earthly sorrow is when you're concerned about the consequences. You're like, oh man, this is bad. This is bad. Oh man, I wish this wouldn't happen. I'm, you know what? Oh man, I, I, I'm so sorry that this hurt our relationship. I'm so sorry. Oh man, I, I wish, I don't, I don't want to have to pay that fine. I don't want to, I don't, and, and it's all based around me and, and what it's going to do to me. But godly sorrow, what? It's, it's that what it did to God. I chose this. I chose this sin. And you know what? God did, did all this for me. And so I submit to God. Whatever consequence God brings into my life, because of this, I want it because I want a relationship back with him. Earthly sorrow versus godly sorrow is all based in a hatred for sin. 
at the end of godly sorrow, you never want to go back to that sin. You hate it, you recognize it, and you despise it. You never want to go back. In earthly sorrow, you just hope if you ever do it again, you don't get the same consequence. And that's the difference. So, how was Peter restored? These elements are beautiful and wonderful, and I hope you get them. What are they? Number one, the crowing of the rooster. This is God's providence in your life. See, what does it say here? It says, when, when, when the rooster crowed, what happened? Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out, and he wept bitterly. So the rooster crowed, that's God's providence. That's his awakening. He reminds you with things. And you know what? I had a couple of those things happen in my life, and I'm so thankful for them. Number one, my parents took me to church every chance, me and my brothers, every time the doors were open. And we were a Sunday night, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Tuesday for choir, Thursday for this. I mean, it was like all the time, right? And you know, but it didn't really affect me. It was just like, well, there, a lot of our family went to that church and it was like, okay, whatever. But you know what? You know what awoke me? I don't even remember who was preaching. It was about when I was 10 years old. But you know what? They talked about hell. And I, you know what? I knew I was lost. Why? Because I didn't know what to do with hell. I knew this guy's talking about it. I realized, you know what? If I believe in heaven, I believe in hell. But I don't, I don't know how I'm getting to either one of those. And that was the rooster crowing for me. And God saved me. Praise him for that. And, but he used that moment. Now, now later in my life, so now I'm 18 years old. I'm a Christian, but you know what? My, and my parents, they did a good job. And you know what? They kept some things, kept me from doing some things. You know what? And I'm thankful now, but at the time I wasn't. I was like, man, I want to do some of this stuff. And I thought, you know, when I turn 18, I'm going to do it. Like, that's going to be enough. I'm going to try these things. Well, thankfully, it's awesome that your parents know when that's happening. Even though you think you're hiding it, like you think, ah, oh, I'm going I'm to do this when I'm, you know. But they know. So they sent me for two weeks of camp, not just one, for two. <laughs> they knew. And you know what? That was the second rooster for me, right? What was it? The first week I was there, what? God showed me that he wasn't keeping good things from me. He was keeping me from destroying myself. That's what he was doing. He loved me enough. He gave me parents that kept those things from me so I wouldn't just destroy myself, destroy my life. Yeah, I might be heading to heaven, but my life would be a wreck. So that was number one. The second week, I had gotten angry, right? Some of this was anger. Now I had built up anger in my life because I couldn't do these things. And I had kind of resentment and some bitterness towards, towards my family, towards some other people that were honestly had good intentions in my life. And you know what? God helped me with that the second week was like that you, you can give forgiveness. I've forgiven you, now give them forgiveness if they've done some things wrong in your life, but also change your attitude. Your attitude's your choice. Change it. And so God used that in a great way, and that's God's providence. He does things. Things crow in our life, and that's what happened. Honestly, the, first, the, the, the rooster crowed when he was actually doing the first denial, if you read those four accounts, there was a rooster that crowed during his first one. It didn't ring his bell. But the, after he did the third one, it reminded him. 
And we're going to do something here in just a few minutes. And we do it to remember. Why? Because forgetfulness is one of our chief weaknesses in the time of temptation. This is often due to our spiritual dullness and our conscience being seared in some way. That we've gotten ourselves to a point where the rooster's crowing and we don't hear it. But praise God when he brings something into our life that wakes us up. And honestly, I do this at camp all the time. Kids will come to camp and they'll bring things that they shouldn't, right? Things that should get them kicked out of our camp. But what I try to do for them is I try to show them, like, praise God that we found it here. Because we love you. You do something like this outside of here, you go straight to jail. But you did it here. We love you. We want to help you, right? And again, if it's not, if it's not to that level that we have to, you know, get the, get the cops involved, we'll get the parents involved, we'll get the church involved, and try to help them, right? But that's the point. God's trying, his provision in your life, he, his providence, right? He, he brings things and allows things into your life where you don't wreck it. So that's God's providence. Number two, what? So the rooster crowed, that's God's providence. The look of Christ, that's God's grace. So what did that look look like? Why, why, did, why did Peter weep bitterly whenever Jesus looked? Why was that? I believe this. It wasn't the look of the law. What? You know, accusations harden the will. It's, it's like counseling 101. Like accusation, you accuse somebody, you try to use guilt. Now, your conscience should make you feel guilty if it's working properly. But me holding you to guilt, you know what? It doesn't take you long to be like, okay, I'm done with guilt. I'm free from that. What? But you know what? God's love and his grace, that drives you to him. It's like when, G, when Jesus heard him deny him and, and he said, and Peter was like, I want nothing to do with you. Jesus looked and was like, but I still want you. And that's what has lasting effect in a Christian's life. That's the look of love, not the look of the law. The law condemns. And we need that to realize that we're lost and we need him. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus, what did he come? He came to, to, he, to, Satan came to kill and destroy. But Jesus came that we can have life and have it more abundantly. He didn't come to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. So that's who, that's who God is. And that's the look that we see. And that look did the work. And what, that when Jesus, when, when Jesus looked, Peter remembered. And then Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And that's, that's godly sorrow. And the last thing I would say is, is the prayer of Christ is God's power in your life. God, how are you, you going to be kept? How did you, how, why did Satan not get Peter? Why, I mean, he had him. I mean, he denied Jesus three times. Pe- Satan had Peter right where he wanted him. Well, we saw that though. What did he say back here when he predicted this for Peter? What did he say? Satan has asked for you. Sometimes we don't realize what's going on in the heavenlies. If you've ever read Job, it gives us a clear picture. What Satan was up in the heavenlies, he met with God. And what did he say? He said, what are you, Satan, what have you been up to? Oh, going to and fro. Hey, have you considered my servant Job? And he said, oh, well, you just, he just loves you because of this, this, and this. And he says, well, you can do that. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's, let's see that. Let's see if, if you're right. But you know what? God preserved Job. And it's the same here. Satan went to, 
to, to God and asked for him. And what does Jesus say? He says, Satan asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. You'd be easy for him, Peter. Without me, you'd be easy. But what does he say? But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Did you know that if you're in the Lord today and if you haven't backslidden away from him, it's because you've been preserved, because you have a savior. What does it say that he's doing right now for each one of us? He's in heaven interceding for us right now. That's what he's doing. Isn't that wonderful? He's doing that for me and for you to preserve us. Amen. And that's God's power. That is God's power in our life. So guys, here's the thing. What Jesus has promised to keep his own, we call this the preservation of the saints. What does the Bible say? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The intercession of Christ is the reason we're preserved. The intercession of Christ is the reason we persevere. He keeps his own by his power. You know, the very same thing that Satan was trying to use to completely destroy Peter, God used to make Peter Peter, a new man, to make him different. Why? Why do I say that? Peter was obviously fearful. He was obviously weak. Peter was obvious that he was not watchful and prayerful. He he didn't have character. What? But to be an apostle for Jesus Christ, to start the church movement, he had to be those things. And so God used this temptation of Satan to work out the bad things that were inside of him so he had a greater understanding of who God was and so he could persevere. Peter's failure to ex- and, th- and his exposure drove him back to the Lord. What? And then what happened? What happened to Peter? You know what? Peter then, the next time he was with, his, with the disciples, he watched and he prayed. He did it. Then what does it say? He was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you know what? He went out, and on the day of Pentecost, those people were not loving God. They, weren't, they didn't love God. They didn't love the church movement, but he preached in front of a hostile crowd, and how many people got saved? 3,000 people did, and that's because your failures and my failures aren't final when we have God's power in our life. That's what's happening. So here's the question. The Bible says this. What does it say? And when, let's, what does it say? And I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. When you've returned to me, strengthen your brothers. So here's the thing. Peter was a numbers guy, right? So he denied, he denied Jesus three times. And what did he do? After, after Jesus left, what did he do? He went back to fishing. He said, I can't do this. I give up. He goes back to fishing. Jesus shows up on the shore. What Peter, in Peter fashion, right? He, he recognizes him and boom, in the water. And he swims to shore, forgets what he was doing, gets there to Jesus. And Peter was a numbers guy, right? He remembered that the rooster crowed three times. What? Earlier when he was talking to Jesus, he was like, hey, so how many times do we have to forgive people? You know, well, he said, what do the rabbis say? Well, the rabbis say three, but, you know, I've got a better number. Seven, the number of perfection. Jesus, wouldn't that be good? Seven? And what did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. 
So Peter, he was a numbers guy. He got it. 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost. And what did Jesus do? He started to say to Peter, do you love me? What did Peter say? Yeah, I love you. What was that, what was that word? Phileo. You're my friend, Jesus. He says, well, feed my sheep. Second time, Peter, do you really love me? Peter said again, and the same idea was the progression. The same progression, Jesus was walking him back through it. He was like, do you really love, do you love me? Peter said it again, phileo. He said, you're my friend, but I, I'm not going to abandon everything for you. But he said, you got to feed my sheep. So the third time, and Peter knew what he was doing, and Jesus said, do you love me? And that time, what did Peter say? He said, he said, agape, I do love you, unconditional, whatever you want. He said, feed my sheep, because that's the kind of love that it's going to take for you to feed my sheep, but I can use you when you have my kind of love, and that's a supernatural love for other people. So here's the question today. We're finishing up. So how are you? All of us as believers at one point in our life, we have fallen away. We have. We have. The question is, either you're sitting here today and you're, you're praising God. You're like, thank God he did this for me. I've seen this happen in my life. Or you might be sitting in here and you're like, it didn't happen. I'm, I'm in trouble. I've fallen away. Well, let me give you hope today. You can be restored just like Peter was. You can be restored today. Today might be God ringing the bell. Rooster crowing for you. Like waking you up. Praise God for that. If that's the way it is today, let me pray for you. And let right there in your seat, you can ask God. The First John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive you your sins. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you can begin to be restored with him today. And live a life of victory. And live a life of fruit and spiritual awakening and helping others. Let's pray together today. Lord, thank you for everybody that's here today. I pray that your word would indwell them richly, Lord. I pray that if they, if anybody in here is has fallen away, Lord, I pray today this would be the rooster crowing in their life, that they would see it. And Lord, that they would confess their sin and they would come to you. They'd run to you today. Because that's what you want. And you want to restore their life. You want to make them productive to reach many others for you in their actions and in their words. So, Lord, I pray for each one that's in here today. I thank you for this, for this, for, for Peter's life and sharing this with us, Lord, so we can know and have hope that we can be restored if we just humble ourselves and come to you. And you want us to have life and have it more abundantly, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this is why we do this. We remember. That's what we're doing. We remember. And what did he say? And they were reclining at the table. And he took the bread. He said, this is my body, which was broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Then he took the cup and he said, 
this is my blood which was spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. <clears throat> Unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the throne. To him be all glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen. May you go and love others and love God this week. Have a great one. We'll see you next time.